Hey guys, it's your girl Booney, and you're listening to episode 150 of the Booney Breakdown Podcast, your source for all things responsible and ratchet. The content in this episode is not meant to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your own physician or other qualified medical health provider for any questions you have on your own personal medical conditions. All right, welcome to this week's episode, guys. I'm really excited for this because this is a super responsible episode. It is also a new topic, one that we have not broached here yet on the Booney Breakdown podcast. So with us this week, I have Dr. Ebony Butler. She is a licensed psychotherapist and a food relationship strategist. Yes, you heard me right, a food relationship strategist. She wants to heal women from trauma and oppressive diet culture and helping them to take back control of their bodies and food. Guys, this was a good one. This was a good one. I'm telling you now, go ahead and get your pen, your paper, because you're going to take some notes on this. We go into kind of like we said, the diet culture, stress eating, and how can we change the way we view food. She also gives some great tips about how to strengthen your immune system as we move into cold and flu season and the beast that is the Rona is still around. Guys, this is a good one. I know I keep saying it, but I really, really think you'll get a lot of information out of it. So stick around for the conversation with Dr. Butler. Oh, and one more thing. After we recorded, I did not know when we recorded, but of course afterwards, I was talking to a friend about the episode and I was like, you know what? Dr. Butler seems like a woman of Delta. (laughs) Come to find out she's my soror. So that is why she is super, super dope. And she doesn't even notice until she's probably listening to this. But when I said it afterwards, I was like, she, she gotta be a Delta. She got Delta women have that. uh, They have that. And you know it when you a Delta. (laughs) So stick around for the conversation. All right, pick of the week. So this week is going to be a little self-indulgent, just a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit. But I found out that I, on Friday, I was nominated for a Black Podcasting Award for the category of Most Black Girl Magic. Come on, air horns. Um, (laughs) So this is the first time the podcast has ever been nominated for anything. The award show happened a couple minutes ago on Sunday, um, September 27th, 2020. Like I said, it was the inaugural inaugural award show. Um, unfortunately, I did not win my category, but it was an honor to be nominated. So um, next year, I'm coming for that award. <laughs> We're going to get one next year. Um, but shout out to Georgie Ann Getton McCoy and the entire team at the Black Podcasting Award Show. It was really dope that um, she saw a need for this award show for Black creatives and Black podcasters um, to have a way to affirm and to highlight our unique voices and candor um, that we bring to the podcasting space and that are often overlooked at these major award shows. And so I thought it was dope that the categories they even had, I think it was 16 categories, um, and they really hit across several niches. Um, And so, yeah, the, the nominees list is available on their website. I'll post it in the show notes so you can check out some other great dope um black podcast um but you know we didn't win 
But if I had to lose to any podcast, losing to the stoop is not a bad one to lose to. (laughs) All right. So be sure to check it out and check out some of the other fellow nominees. All right. Housekeeping. Um, Feedback from episode 149, sound bowls and stripper poles with Hey Jess Gray. You guys loved this. Someone said, you know, what I really appreciated about the episode the most was when Jess said a lot of these new healing practices black people have been doing since the beginning of time and we are even left out of these wellness spaces because wellness is so white thank you for highlighting this and i really enjoyed the episode so thank you guys so much for listening if you have not you can go back and listen to episode 149 last week with jess gray also you've already heard this is episode 150 of the boonie breakdown podcast some more air horns So to celebrate, um, because I could not get here without you guys listening, and we have grown so much over the last few months um, of this year, like so much, and it's all because of you guys helping to share and listening and, you know, interacting on social. Um, So I'm going to do a giveaway. I have not done a giveaway in a long time. Um, If you want the particulars of this giveaway, um, be sure to follow us on social media because that's where it's going to happen this week over on social media. What you can win, it'll be mystery boxes, Boonie mystery boxes. But they're also powered by Zen in a Jar. So if you remember, Zen in a Jar has sponsored a few episodes, especially our season eight opener um, with Sex with Ashley. So leading into the next thing, (laughs) if you've not followed us, please do so on social media. Okay, that is where we hang out a lot on Instagram at The Boonie Breakdown or on Facebook at The Boonie Breakdown and on Twitter just at Boonie Breakdown. Okay, so that's where you can follow us and get some good giveaways. Also, we're now on Amazon Music. So if you are, I know our Droid listeners sometimes have uh, trouble sticking to finding an app. Um, This is another platform. So if you are a subscriber, um, Amazon Prime, Amazon Music, the Boonie Breakdown podcast is now available. All 150 episodes over on the Amazon Music platform. So be sure to follow us there. Try it out. I'm going to try to listen to a few over there just to see how I like the platform. Um, And we'll go from there. But also... If you love this episode this week with Dr. Ebony Butler, please be sure to share it on your own platform. Share it on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever. Be sure to tag us and also be sure to use the hashtag the Boonie Breakdown and the hashtag pod in P-O-D-I-N. If you tag us, I share it. I comment back. I, 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 I do whatever I can. <laughs> but if your page is locked, because I got a nasty gram this week, and I don't know how many times I have to say this, if your page is locked, and I do not follow you. I cannot see when you share the podcast. So still share it. I appreciate it because you're reaching your followers. But when I do not respond back and you have shared it, it is probably because I just cannot see it and your page is locked. So there um, we can spare some nasty grams <laughs> in my DMs. <laughs> I appreciate it so much. So remember, follow us on social because we're having our giveaway. And uh, that is it for me. So let's get ready to break it down. All right, guys, it's your girl, Boonie, and I'm excited.
excited for this week's episode because it's something different for me. Uh, you know, we normally talk about mental health and self-care, but I have never had this type of expert on the podcast. So I'm excited to welcome Dr. Ebony Butler. Welcome. Hey, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. So do you want to know how I found you? Yes, I do. <laughs> this will make you feel good. Uh, IG story ad. Okay. I was in my IG story and I'm like, wait, go back. And it was the therapy cards, which we'll get into. Um, So I was like, oh, swipe up. And this is on my personal page, my personal IG. And so then I'm like, follow. And then when I was brainstorming for this season, I'm like, go back to that ad you saw. (laughs) The ads are working. So So there you go. It is working. I saw it with my own eyes. Good, good. I'm so excited. Um, so I want to, before we get started and dive into the topics, I want you to kind of explain your background. So you guys heard her bio and you probably heard food relationship strategist like I did. And yeah, what is that? Yeah, I made it up. So <laughs> I love I'm, it. <laughs> so I'll tell you how it actually was born. I actually started, so I'm a psychologist by trade, like that's what I do. Um, and so I opened a business in 2015 with my sister. It was called My Sister's Keeper and we were helping black women learn how to lose weight because we had lost a lot of weight and so we were helping black women learn how to lose weight. But the more I did that work and the more I kind of realized what the industry actually was, the less comfortable I got with calling myself a health and wellness coach okay. or marketing myself as somebody who helps black women lose weight. So. I really started thinking, I was like, well, it's not even really about weight. This thing is mental. Like something mental is happening with us. Something mental is a part of this journey that we're not paying attention to. And as a psychologist, I want to do more than just write meal plans. I want to do more than just tell people to go to the gym because people already know that. Excuse me. They don't need me to tell them that. Yeah. How do you blend what you know with this stuff? Because what you know is what other trainers don't know, that kind of thing. Years passed, and what I found was that, yes, my clients were losing weight. Yes, they were feeling better about themselves, but when they did not feel better, they felt a lot of shame. They felt a lot of guilt. They felt like failures. Mm -hmm. And I felt like, well, oh, crap. I am also a part of the problem that continues to perpetuate this fear, this idea of failure if you can't achieve a certain body size. So I started educating myself more. I started reading books like Fearing the Black Body, And we pivoted in business and my sister's not really a business driven person. Mm -hmm. I became just kind of like a solopreneur. And I was like, I don't want to be a person who continues to make black women feel horrible about their bodies. So that's where the education piece came in. And I was like, well, what I do know for sure is that our relationship with food is um, the issue. And I know that a lot of times based on how we were raised, we've developed real toxic relationship with, with food. Then I started understanding diet culture. So I went from a health and wellness coach to a health and wellness expert to a food relationship expert. And then I was like, well, actually, I don't also want to be the authority over what people put in their body and the authority over what people feel like they can eat. So I was like, well, what I do is actually strategize with people. Diet culture is a hot mess. And I don't want to be another thing that is oppressing people who look like me. So that's where food relationship strategies came from. Because I said, what I'm really doing is strategizing with people and walking alongside people and collaborating 
instead of just telling people do this because I know this to be true for your body. Yeah. I'm the expert and I live in a thinner body, so I know what's best for you kind of thing. So I, that's how it came about. I just heard you say one thing, like you had the trepidation about the health and wellness space. And I know it seems like there was a lag in reaching black women for so long in that space. Mm-hmm. It was a very whitewashed, skinny white woman, blonde hair, that did yoga and ran 10 miles a day, right? So I know it's a generalization, but that was their target audience. And so looking at that, you're like, that's not who I am. So obviously it's not for me. So I like it. I I didn't want the people who I was working with to feel like that that was the norm or that was the ideal. Um, And then the really, the more I learned about how oppressive the industry is and how just kind of like we talk about whitewash, white supremacy, and just kind of how racism is embedded in diet culture and food and all those things. And I just, I didn't want to be a part of that. I couldn't be a part of that. I couldn't live with myself kind of like continuing to make people feel like they, they don't have the ability to trust Mm -hmm. themselves and make decisions for themselves. So that wasn't the thing I wanted to kind of be a part of. I, I, yeah, I appreciate that a lot. Um, And when you just mentioned like the relationships and how we develop our relationships with food, I thought back to, I had a session in therapy. So everyone knows here, I go to therapy, I push for people to go to therapy. (laughs) Therapy is bae, but I kind of had a breakthrough in um, one of my sessions with my therapist and she was pinpointing the exact moment where I developed my coping skills as a child. So I'm like five or six when this traumatic experience happened. And that is how I developed how I cope. Three different ways we pinpointed it. And the one thing was food. And as I was prepping for this interview, I'm like, I have to share this because, um, and so for me, it was always an escapism from the reality, even at five years old, going on to six. And it was a treat. It made me feel good because things around me were pretty shitty. And so for me, it was like when there's trauma, when there's stress, all right, I'm going to have that brownie because I know it's going to make me feel so good. I'm going to do this because it's, uh, nope, I can't. That's how I cope. And when she said that, I was like, oh my God, that was at five and I'm 35 (laughs) and I still like have not broken that. Of course. And so when you, that has protected you, right? That has protected you, that has kept you safe. And so if we think about dieting and we think about trying to shrink our bodies, one of the things that we don't take into account is that dieting asks us to forego the things that have protected us. And many people don't realize that it's not because, well, here's, here's what diet culture tells you. It tells you that the reason that you haven't succeeded is because you're lazy, because you're a failure, because you're inconsistent, because you lack motivation. What it doesn't tell you is that it doesn't give you space to still hold truth or identify the things that did keep you safe. And so when we embark on these journeys to kind of shrink our bodies for the sake of feeling good enough, we don't realize that diet culture is asking us to let all of that stuff go without telling us where we got it from, how it has protected us, ways that it still does. And so we're basically left still feeling like failures without having those connections. And then without putting things in place that now also make us feel safe. Yes. You know, so it just asks you, just eat less. Duh, just eat less. But then you're like, what about my safety? You don't know this is going on on a logical and kind of cognitive level, but your body knows that we are without something. So it's not that I can't turn down a brownie, it's that that makes me feel safe. Mm. 
you know? And so yeah. what am I going to do if I don't have that? So that's why I don't like telling people, well, you know, just eat this, or you know, just eat that. <laughs> not dealing with all of that other stuff. Yeah, no, I think, I hope people listening to this, like heard what you just said there. And our relationships with food develop like that was I'm five years old. No idea that that was going to stay with me or I'm sure my mom and my grandmother didn't think that was going to stay with me for the rest of my life, but it did. And so for people who might be listening to this, like, Oh my God, I have a similar story or they just had the revelation themselves. How are like, what is one thing I know you just mentioned the mental part, but that you can help people that they can do to help transition these relationships from, I'm, I'm going to say bad air quotes to good relationships with food. Yeah. And so I, I, I know what you're doing with the good and bad, but I would even offer the term effective versus ineffective because it mm. takes the judgment out of it. But what do we need to do to help ourselves reach a certain goal in a moment? In that moment, what is needed in each moment is going to change. So okay. it's placing a moral judgment on it. What is effective? What do I need to do now? So I think that what people can do now is become really observant and mindful, observant, mindful, and be really curious about what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Where did this start? Who taught me this? Um, when clients come to me, the very first thing that I assign them to do is just really be curious about your behavior going forward. Question everything. Mm. Why do I like this over this? Why do I want to eat this on the weekends and not during the week? Why do I prefer structure during the week and not on the weekends? So becoming really mindful, why do I eat my food until it's gone? Whose voice do I hear? What, what did I, where did I learn that? Because for myself, my fullness cues were taken away from me and I learned to rely on my mom to tell me if I was full or not, because if I didn't, I was going to get in trouble. So I no longer knew how to trust myself to be full. I knew how to trust an empty plate. So you'll yeah. hear the older say, well, I don't know when I'm full, I feel guilty if I don't eat everything on my plate or at least take it home because we hear mom's voice, you better eat, you better eat all that food. <laughs> you waste the money, you waste yeah. my money. You have more money. So you have to like be curious about everything and that's going to require us to slow down. Yeah. And I even just even hear you say that trigger, like, I don't know how many, that might be a growing up black thing where mama's like, you better eat all that food. And then the other thing too, is being forced to eat things that you didn't like, or you didn't want. Right. And so that was, that was a big thing too. Like I, I was glad I got to the point where I could just eat what I wanted to eat because I'm like peas to this day. I cannot eat peas. Yeah. They were on my plate. I remember stuffing them in my mouth just so they were off the plate so I could leave. Like I, I need to get up from this table, but, and then I would have to swallow a whole, Oh, like I still cannot eat peas to this day. Can we but, talk about that just a little bit? Because I think that that's so psychological, right? Because if I'm being forced to eat something that I don't want, and then I'm an adult who's embarking on this diet journey, and I'm being forced to eat things I don't want, what do you think that's going to trigger? What do you yeah. think that's going to bring up in your body? It's going to be repulsive. You can do it for a day, two, <laughs> three, but by that fourth day, you're like, I don't want any more kale. I don't mm -hmm. want any more spinach. I don't like carrots. I don't like celery. What am I eating? And so one of the things that people find toughest to do when they're trying to even switch the types of things that they're eating is the loss of independence and autonomy around being forced to eat what somebody else is telling you to eat when you don't like it. Pair that with somebody who has experienced trauma and being told to do something that you don't want to do. Mm. You're not going to do it. 
You're not, and it has nothing to do with motivation. It has nothing to do with consistency. It has everything to do with you being triggered and not really knowing what is happening. All and what diet culture tells you is that you're just a failure. You don't know what you're doing. You can't do right. But really, I'm gagging at the thought of having to eat something that I don't like, and I feel like I'm being forced. That is very reminiscent of what happened to me when I was younger. So if we kind of become really curious, we can begin to make those types of connections and begin to really sit with, what is this about? Why don't I like that? And why am I forcing myself to eat something that I don't want? Yeah. Yeah. Because I even think like in the environment that I grew up when I went to a predominantly white school, I'm a little ghetto girl from West Baltimore and... <laughs> I noticed the difference even between my white classmates, their relationships with food and, you know, wellness, exercise, all of that stuff versus my family. Right. And so it would, I remember one of my friends to this day, I always credit her being the reason that I eat Brussels sprouts now because we went somewhere and I was like, Oh, I can't eat. I'm not eating Brussels sprouts. And she's like, do you not like them or have you never had them? And I couldn't believe she called me out because that was something my grandmother did not cook Brussels sprouts because she did not like them. And mm -hmm. so I'm like, I never had them. So she's like, so how do you know what you like if you've never had it? And I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. So she's like, eat a Brussels sprout. And I remember her like forcing me to eat this Brussels sprout. This is like seventh or eighth grade. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. And I love Brussels sprouts. So I remember telling my grandmother, like, oh, can you cook Brussels sprouts? And she's like, where'd you have a Brussels sprout? Like, it was like, like it was drugs. Like, who fed you this who Brussels sprout? You <laughs> I can tell you why I didn't eat Brussels sprouts. It's because Rudy on the Cosby show hated Brussels sprouts. <laughs> and she would not leave the table. And I was like, well, then Rudy doesn't like it. Then I know it's nasty. Yeah. And so talk about associations with food and where we learn different things. Like, it's TV, it's society, it's family, it's grandmothers, it's all of that. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, <laughs> one thing I haven't heard you mention, so do you work with people who might have like any eating disorders or are you strictly with patients who just might have um, bad relationships with food, trauma-based issues that they need to uncover? So I don't work with diagnosed eating disorders. That's okay. not my specialty. That's not my area of expertise. What I do, I, so if we think about disorders on the spectrum, I always talk about things on the spectrum. We have our no anything going on, no pathology, and then we, we kind of go down the spectrum, and then we have our disordered is disrupting your functioning level. Okay. I work with people who may be here in the middle instead of being down here on the end because that's where my clinical competence stops. So that's why I choose to do coaching and strategizing around food relationship, not clinical work. Gotcha. Now, some of my clients will come into therapy with food relationship issues, but they are not on the disordered end to where it's diagnosable. So they may be engaging in bench eating or they may be engaging in body kind of like deprivation or they may be kind of self-sabotaging in ways that kind of impact their health or they may be restricting, but it's not on the end to where it's clinically disrupting their lives. Gotcha. And so I can do therapy with my clients around that, but I really do focus coaching around food relationships with people who are more kind of like, I want to get a handle on this. I want to understand this better. I want to be able to cope better, that kind of thing. So providing them coping skills versus kind of clinical intervention where they may need inpatient type work. Gotcha. Okay. So would you say that you have a good relationship with food? You mentioned that you lost a lot of weight. Do you mind me asking how much? 
Oh yeah, I lost fifty pounds. It used to be my claim to fame. Awesome. That's how I marketed myself as a as a strategist, and I'm really like an open book, so there's nothing that anybody can ask me that is it. Um, so my claim to fame used to be, oh, I'm Dr. Ebony. I'm a health and wellness coach. I lost 50 pounds. My sister lost 70 pounds, blah, blah, blah. And I helped us get there, right? We both did this, so now we can help you. <laughs> used to be my claim to fame until I realized, like, why is that? Why is your self-worth so tied up in that? So when I lost weight, when I, as I lost the 50 pounds, my relationship with food was awful. Awful. It was borderline. Um, it was borderline eating disorder. I'm not going to lie. It was like they have this new term and people just come up with stuff, but they have this new term <laughs> called orthorexia, right? I was obsessed with clean eating or not eating anything that was bad. Mm -hmm. So yes, when I lost weight, I literally lost weight for the reason of being skinny. Like, well, why else would you want to lose weight? I wanted to be skinny. This was with my senior year in college. I was graduating. I didn't know what I knew now. Um, and I was like, you know, I just want to be skinny. That's pretty, that's beautiful. I started getting a lot of attention. And so I would call myself what I like to term skinny fat. My behaviors were awful. So I would, <laughs> I would run like crazy, but eat like a bowl of cereal a day or something like that. Okay. So as I learned more, I started to try to incorporate healthier foods and, and have more balance. But I got myself to that point over time. But to be honest and say that it's always been good, absolutely not. It's not optimal right now because I'm still un unlearning a whole bunch of stuff. And I'll tell you the way that it's shifted. My relationship with food, probably from 2004 to probably about 2012, was, 2012 was okay. real rocky. But between 2012 and 2014, I started to really find balance and really find acceptance in my body and that kind of thing. In 2017, I decided, oh, I'm losing myself. Let me do bodybuilding. And it all went downhill. It all went to shit. So oh, wow. I started bodybuilding, started training. And a lot of those behaviors that I had gotten out of, weighing myself all the time, looking at myself in the mirror, trying to see how small I was, actually was amplified because that's what you have to do when you're mm -hmm. bodybuilding. You have to weigh yourself down to the ounce. So it basically sent me into the same behaviors that I was doing before. And I actually stopped because it was so unhealthy. And somebody oh, wow. made a comment to me in the bodybuilding world. She was like, well, Ebony, you know, we all basically have eating disorders. And I was like, <laughs> you know that and that's okay with you? Like, you wow. know what's happening for you? And, that, and I was like, that's not okay for me. I don't like what's happening. And so I had to stop. And so now I'm at a place where I am on the healthier end, probably the healthiest I've ever been in my relationship with food, but it's not over. Like, it's never done. Because those same messages come back in my mind. It's like, oh, well. I can feel my back fat or, oh, mm. look how my shoulders look. They're not as toned as when I bodybuild. They're like, my pants are not a size four anymore. Like, so all of those things, like I still have those body image days or body image issues, but I have to remind myself that those are messages that I've received and that is not my truth. So I still have to do my own work. So it's still like a, a daily practice. It's not something where it's like, all right, I did it. I'm, I'm cured, air quotes, and I can move on to the next problem. It's something that you have to consistently work at. Yeah, it's just like therapy. It's always something. You can know. It's always it's, something. <laughs> like you can know that it started at five, and yet you still have to keep doing the work. You still have to keep doing the work because the messages are everywhere around us. If we look on Instagram, the people who are promoted and the people who are influencers are everywhere. And so if you go on your explore page, everybody's fit and working out. 
And so, of course, that's going to naturally bring up some judgments about yourself or people are kind of like, get your swimsuit body ready yes. or don't gain weight during the quarantine. Like, so you're always going to be triggered and it's really a matter of how do I respond to these triggers that I experience all the time. I was just having that conversation earlier today about the pandemic and how Peloton was the real winner because I feel like everyone and their mother has bought a Peloton bike because they don't want to go to the gym and they're afraid of getting fat, like sitting at home. So um, Peloton really did win. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. And and I laugh because when I was saying that this morning and then I go outside to grab the nail, one of my neighbors was getting one delivered. (laughs) So I'm like, they're definitely winning right now. Um, so we just mentioned the pandemic and so with stressful times somebody who could have a you know good relationship with food or um someone who does have a challenging relationship with food or evolving relationship how can people deal with stress in a in a, na- a healthy way without immediately turning to food You know what? I would tell people to really be easy on themselves. I have to kind of let people know about baseline functioning, right? I think pre-pandemic, the only reason many of us were functioning at the level that we were is because we had a lot of different things in place. So I tell my clients and I tell a lot of people who I work with is that maybe you were functioning at an eight baseline, but now you're functioning at a five. Don't be so hard on yourself and expect yourself to still be functioning at that eight give yourself space to function at a five. And with Mm. what you do at a five is not what you would do at an eight. So in given that, sometimes we do need to cope with food because that's the only comforting thing that is out here given all this craziness that's going on because coping with food is not inherently bad. It's when we don't have a variety of things to call on to cope. And when that coping skill is causing issues for us, yet we're still using it. So gotcha. hopefully we cope with food. We bond around food. We enjoy, like food is enjoyable. Let's just say that. Like we love food. There's no getting around it. Food is cultural. It's in our DNA. So for us to deny ourselves that is us denying who we are. A lot of traditions, that kind of thing. So first let's tell that truth. The other thing is let's diversify the coping skills that we have available to us. So one of the things that you can do during this pandemic is look for other ways to soothe yourself. Because right now what we're dealing with is, I would call it trauma, a crisis, a pandemic. So how can I soothe those intense, those intense emotions, those heightened emotions? What are the things that I can do, given that the other things that I would do are not available to me? So do I want to pick up podcasting? Do I want to pick up um, meditating? Do I want to sleep in? I don't have to go to the gym at five o'clock in the morning. Do I want to sleep in? Do I want to take up walking now instead of spending $3,000 on a Peloton bike? Like, What else can I do? And I would just really encourage people to gain a set of coping skills, not just one. Don't completely take food off the table, um, but diversify that so you're not always relying on food, just like you're not always relying on a bubble bath to cure anything, because even a bubble bath isn't going to work. I think food, emotional coping gets a bad reputation, but honestly, sometimes that's what is effective. Sometimes I need a drink. Sometimes I feel like I need a bowl of ice cream because that is what's going to soothe me and not make the situation worse for me. It doesn't have to be what I do all the time. So just kind of looking at it from that framework of diversifying and gaining a variety of things that you can do to get you through this because nobody's ever been through this. So nobody can tell you. I have to, I'm going to be funny and light for a second. (laughs) What are your thoughts? Um, 
on the whole, like I know everyone right now is trying to do things to boost their immunity and their immune system. You already know where I'm headed. I can see it on your face. Uh, <laughs> and especially with cold and flu season coming, we still haven't gotten, at least in America, people listening in other places, you guys have gotten on the other side of COVID, but here we have not, and I'm jealous of you all. Um, how, <laughs> on Instagram and popularity, it was the CMOS craze. Thoughts? <laughs> I'm just curious your thoughts. You know, I appreciate folks trying to come up with more holistic ways to do things, but nothing's new under the sun. Nothing's new under the sun. Folks been using CMOS, right? Yes. Um, it's almost like avocados and kale being labeled superfoods. I think these are fads and trends. Um, here's my here's my real opinion about CMOS. CMOS is not going to do any good if you're also not putting good nutritious foods inside your body. So if we're just going to rely on, on CMOS to kind of be the thing that, that cures us, we're actually doing ourselves a disservice. CMOS is not going to cure us. Apple cider vinegar is not going to cure us. Turmeric <laughs> is not going to cure us. Like lemon tea, like we've got to do a variety of things to make sure our health is okay. So I look at those things while I think that there is some benefit to it. And I think folks have been using holistic methods for a long time. And I'm glad to see that come around. I think that this is yet another trend like apple cider vinegar and turmeric. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. I, um, I think I've told this on the podcast before, but I, you know, I did do the Someone told me before this pandemic about CMOS because they're someone who eats fairly clean and into the holistic stuff. So for them, yes, their skin is glowing. Amazing things. Amazing wonders. Um, but it was just so interesting watching during the height of the pandemic. Everybody was a CMOS entrepreneur, like <laughs> CMOS smoothies and face creams. I was like, what? <laughs> We are desperate. Do you hear me? We are desperate. And when when we feel like, oh my God, things are about to crash, like we will run towards anything. And I think and that's what happened. It's, it's almost like survival mode. People are like, yes. well, people are looking for anything to make sure that they don't catch or die from this thing. And so I can't blame people for that. But I think we have to slow down and think a little bit more critically. And that's where the slowing down and being mindful comes in. It's like, really ask yourself, because when we're in survival mode, people can sell us water, tap water. People can sell us tap water right after a faucet. When we're in survival mode, we won't know any different yeah. because we're not being mindful and thinking from a critical standpoint because we're just in fight, flight, or freeze mode. But really ask yourself, like, how well is this going to help me in the grand scheme of things? Yeah. What else do I need to do to help this thing work to its optimal level? And have I already been doing those things? Um, cause CMOS by itself is not going to save us. Like, where's the vitamin C? Where's the water? Where's the nutrients? Where's the, where's the sleep? Yeah. Because that is the thing too. Um, so, you know, you have to ask yourself all of these questions and I would really be careful. Tell people to be careful to latch on to things that people are branding and marketing as new because it's not, it's not new. It's, it's, I think that is sage advice. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm with you. I've known people who've been taking it for years years making their own and now they were upset because it was shortages <laughs> yes. go back to y'all's kale and avocado or whatever <laughs> yeah i'm like it's gonna be an elderberry shortage soon because that's oh the other thing <laughs> everybody everybody's on that too yeah all right i do want to change gears before we wrap up um 
So I did mention earlier in our episode that I found you from a ad um, advertising your therapy cards. And so can you explain what people, um, to people what that is? Yeah. Because I thought it was kind of dope. And how did you come up with the concept for it? Yeah. So as a, as a person who I've always, as a psychologist, worked for an agency. And so I've never had a problem with getting clients. I've never had a problem with getting paid. I've never had clients have to worry about insurance because I work for large federal agencies. So they just were going to be there. When I decided to venture into private practice last year, and I was the only black female psychologist who was practicing in Austin, I realized that what I thought was just going to be my travel money turned into just kind of a full-time caseload, but I only had private practice uh, part-time capacity. Mm -hmm. Um, So people couldn't get in to see me. People who looked like me couldn't get in to see me. People couldn't afford what I was asking them to pay because I don't accept insurance. And once you got your coins together, once you um, are okay going in, then there's a stigma around seeking help that still exists no matter how many providers we have in the community. So I was like, always as my entrepreneur brain, creative, what can I create? What can I do? Can I have workshops? Can I do this in person? So I had all my little things set up. I was going to do this retreat and I was going to tour around Texas doing these talks and providing education to people, doing these webinars, these workshops. And then literally, it. this is like, that's kind of like January stuff. But even before then, the idea hit me in 2018 to create a card deck. I just didn't know what it was going to be. I didn't know if it was going to be a food relationship card deck. I didn't know if it was going to be a therapy card deck. I literally was going more towards the side of affirmations and food relationship stuff. It wasn't until I actually started private practice that I was like, well, damn, folks really can't come to therapy. And so I wanted people to feel like, honestly, that they could have a quality session with me without me being there. Nice. So if you think about creative, like, how can I make myself all over the place without being all over the place at the same time? Like, how can I do this? And I was like, well, this card deck idea, I need to figure out how to make this happen. So I actually hired a marketing coach. And I was like, I got this thing I want to do. I'm going to do it around food relationship. Because if you look at my Instagram, it's only as of earlier this year that I started really going heavy on the therapy stuff. My page is filled with food relationship stuff because that's who I wanted to be on social media. But I recognized that there was a heavier need for me to be also a therapist in that space too. So the card deck was really born earlier. The deck was idea was born in 2018, but the therapy deck, was actually born around um, August of last year and then brought to to life around January. And I really wanted, I said, I want people to feel like they're talking to Dr. Ebony. So what kind of questions would I ask? And so I started pulling questions that I asked every single client who started to come into my private practice. And I created this framework and I said, well, I'm asking people mindset questions, habit questions, and we're talking about triggers an awful lot. So I kind of finalized organized this framework that I use in coaching and that I use in therapy and I created the deck that way. So the deck has three categories, mindset, triggers, and habits, and it's 12 cards per category that ask the same questions that I ask all of my clients. So basically people when they buy the deck are getting the same questions that I ask people who are paying me to come see me once every two weeks or something like that. And I wanted it to be affordable because therapy is expensive. Um, And so I wanted to put it all together where people could feel like I can do one deck a week and still get a lot of value. Sorry, not one day, one card a week. And I can still get a lot of value. So that's 36 cards. That's 36 weeks, weeks. where you're only paying $50 for 36 weeks worth of work. 
Um, I think you just highlighted something that people don't really like to talk about that therapy is expensive. And if you, you know, if you find a therapist who doesn't take insurance, but you really like them, you could be paying anywhere between 90 to $200 a session, depending on what their rate is. And (laughs) that's not cheap. (laughs) I know that. And so I was like, okay, girl, how do you, you say you want to work with people who look like you, you want to work with marginalized groups, but you do know marginalized groups can't pay you all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And because of resources and because of lack of resources and all these politics, right? So I was like, how do I scale myself? And I'm constantly thinking about how can I make this accessible and still stay true to who I am? One of the reasons that I think is worth mentioning that I don't accept insurance is that I don't like the forced pathologizing and diagnosing that insurance companies force us to do on every single person that we work with. So if you're coming in to use your insurance, you have to diagnose the person um, and you have to provide insurance companies a diagnosis. And I feel like as black people, people of color were overly diagnosed and I didn't want to mm. talk about that. Because so you are a psychologist, which yeah. is, yeah. And I didn't want to do that. I don't, I don't want to collude with that. So um, I will provide diagnosis, but I don't want it to be mandatory because sometimes their pathologies are just not there. Like people are just not having a disorder. Maybe they're just having a tough time. Um, so that's one of the things. And I wanted to just make it more accessible. And so I wanted going beyond the affirmations that we see because there are affirmation decks out there. Um, they're kind of like conversation starter decks out there. But I really wanted people to feel like, can I do some quality work? I wanted to go well beyond just go give yourself a nice talk in the mirror. And (laughs) I really want to know, girl, what do you need to forgive yourself for? Like, what do you really need to forgive yourself for? What do you keep doing that you know is not working for you? I really wanted people to slow down and really begin to think about the things that they were doing. I love that. That's really dope. Thank you. All right. So we're going to go head to the breakdown. Okay. I'm going to say one word. And you can say the first thing that comes to mind. It could be a phrase, a sound, one word, whatever. Okay? Okay. All right. First word, music. I'm, music soul child came to my mind just because of him. <laughs> right? right? Music. I love him now. <laughs> yeah, I love him. But I need to come back. But music soul child. Yeah. Black women. Powerful. Dope Boom. as hell. Dope as hell. Food. <laughs> Good. Good. And actually, the first thing that came to my mind was before good was culture, to be honest. Culture. Yeah. Self-care. Absolutely necessary. Absolutely necessary. And it may not always be fun. Stress. What I'm feeling all up and through my neck right now. Like. (laughs) (laughs) Therapy. I love it. It's my love. It's my joy. It's my passion. Dieting. Absolutely hate it. I just, ugh. Like, that's how I feel. <laughs> and last one, love. Oh, uh, feel all warm and fuzzy, like, around love. I think we definitely need more of that. And I love love, even though I like to play hard sometimes. Listen, don't we? It's just after my own heart. <laughs> so, Dr. Ebony, can you share where people can find you across social media, where you are on the internet, where they can grab your therapy cards? Yeah, so you can grab the cards at uh, mytherapycards.com. Just simple as that. And I'm across social media on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook at Dr. Ebony Online. Um, you probably will find me at Instagram streets more times than not. I'm trying to get better with Facebook and stuff, but Instagram <laughs> is really where I live. So um, Dr. Ebony Online, and I'm Ebony Butler, PhD on LinkedIn. 
had it. Come on, you know she official. She got a LinkedIn. I don't think anyone who's been on this show has ever gave a LinkedIn. <laughs> Can we just be honest? I have a LinkedIn because that's where my press release happened with the therapy cards. So it went crazy on LinkedIn. My LinkedIn wasn't even up to date, but that's where a lot of the press came from was LinkedIn because somebody tagged me over there and boosted an ad on their page. I didn't even boost the ad. That's up. And a lot of, so I was like, well, girl, you better get over there and clean up your stuff on that page. So that's Look, I'm not mad at it. Look, I actually uh, took down my LinkedIn um, when, when this started going off. I was like, cancel culture. I can't have y'all messing up my nine to five coins just yet. <laughs> Mm -hmm. so let me go ahead and remove that now before i'm on the summer jam screen one day <laughs> well dr ebony this is great thank you so much and uh, i appreciate talking to you of course thank you so much for having me i had a really good time all right, guys, that's it for this week's episode. I want to thank Dr. Ebony Butler for coming on again. Be sure to check out her therapy cards and follow her across social media. I'm telling you, really broke down how we start our relationship with food at a very early age. All right. Also, be sure to follow us over on Instagram and Facebook this week. We'll be doing a giveaway over there for our 150th episode. You guys don't want to miss this Boonies mystery box. All right. And if you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to subscribe and listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or any app that you listen to your favorites on. Don't forget to leave those reviews too. You might just hear your review on the next episode. Follow us on all social media. Share the episode with those you love, those you don't love, those you fucking hate. I don't make these pretty images for nothing, okay? Have a dope-ass week. Stay healthy, safe, and sane. Thank you for listening. And remember, the ratchet in me always honors the ratchet in you. Until next time.